Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the voice of all combat sports, the great Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you doing? I'm doing good, Ken. Doing doing good. Uh, the NCAA tournament has been tremendous. It lives up to its name, March Madness, with those upsets. How's all your those, bracket? Uh, it ended yesterday. I had, believe it or not, <laughs> I had one left with St. Peter's. And I, I didn't feel good about it because I also had North Carolina in some of my sheets. Like I said, we do it different on Staten Island. And we, uh, but I didn't have them with the other three. So I had St. Yeah, Peter's gotcha. with the right three. I, I had needed Kansas earlier in the day to beat Miami. They did their job. Uh, which, you know, I appreciate Bill Self. You called Bill Self, you told him to get it done, and I appreciate that. Of he, course. He got it done yep. over there in Kansas. And then St. Peter's, you know, the ride ended for that huge underdog. Yeah. They had a great ride, but it ended. Yep. Unfortunately, it ended. I ended it with them because uh, <laughs> if I, there was only three people left out of over 25,000 that, had St. Peter's on a line the way I did, uh, and each of them had, you have to have the winner. They each had a different way. I had Duke winning it all, which I think they will. And they had, one oh, of the others had Kansas, and the other one had Villanova. Villanova took a, you know, a big hit with their top player going down. So that's going to hurt them. They're good. They're good. But that I just want to make a mention that... <laughs> I think you're seeing something magical going on. I'll tell you what. You always see something magical in madness with kids that are playing so hard to be the best. You know, I mean, some of them are never going to play ball again. They're not all going to, most of them aren't going to make the NBA. So they're playing for their own legacy, for their history, for their families, for the, the memory of this, for the, the power of being able to stand up, put get on top of the mountain and shout from the top of the mountain and whatever you do and say, I'm the best. And they're doing it with the camaraderie of their teammates, kids that they've been with for some years now and they, you know, they might not see them again. They might see them, but they might not see them again. So there's, there's a great... You know, there's something really special going on with these college kids playing for, yeah, some of them are playing for a contract later on in the NBA, but most of them, like I said, they're not. They're just playing for just the greatness of being able to to just go out there and compete. They're, you know, just, just for the love of the sport. And again, to be able to, place yourself on a mantle of the best in college basketball that you never get a chance to do again. And there's X factors in fights. You know, fights in life, fights in basketball, fights obviously in MMA, in boxing, all the things that we do with the combat sports. And you're seeing an X factor here. You're seeing kids playing for Duke that are playing harder than they've ever played before. They they put it into another gear. 
and they're doing it because their coach, the winningest coach of all time, is retiring. Coach K, he's retiring after the, and they're part of that. And I always say, and this is why I love it, Ken. I always say that you're more powerful when you're doing something beyond yourself, beyond the realm of only for you. When you're doing something for somebody else, where that's part of it, to that in a selfless way. You can be stronger that way. You can be more powerful that way. We all can as people. When you can't be on the sphere of only how it touches you. And I see it in these kids that they are taking great pride and responsibility in saying, we're going to make this coach who we love, who's the winningest coach of all time, who's retiring now, go out with one more win. And they've lifted their games. They've grown right in front of you and passed tests right in front of you because of that. And and you've watched Coach K become younger where he wasn't as enthused. That, I mean, in his 70s, after all those wins and all those national titles and all those trips to the Final Four, now you see something that it might have been lost for a while, that enthusiasm, that love for the game, that love for the kids. You know, that excitement to watch these kids grow right in front of his eyes to become better. Like a trainer, I can't tell you. When you're in the gym with a fighter and, and you see the fighter grow, you see him get better, you see him become stronger, more independent. And, and it's, it's a special feeling. And I think that's what coaches feel in, in Coach K right now. And I think that's why these kids have taken it to another level. Because they're doing it for that reason, beyond themselves. And I think it's special to be able to see that. And I'm watching it, and I believe that's why Duke will wind up winning. But there's a lot of great teams left. But I think it's just, it's nice to have a window to sit and watch things like that beyond the game that had taken place. So that I just want to mention that because I think that's consistent with kind of what we do here every week. You know, we talk about having your own fight, and we talk about how do you win that fight, and we talk about the X factors in that fight, and sometimes there are X factors. And the X factor here is a young kid, a young group of what it looks like great kids playing basketball are doing something, yes, for themselves, but also, yes, beyond themselves. And it's making them special right now. Yeah, Great points. I love the difference in, um, you know, in an NBA seasons, for instance, it's easy to see the guys almost at times being lackadaisical. But when you get down to March Madness, like you said, for a lot of these kids, it could be their last last time on a on a big stage like this. And you could see the emotions are so high. It's awesome to watch. Um, there's a lot I'm enjoying it a lot of great uh, fight action this weekend but um, one one um, one in particular steals the steals the uh, thunder from everyone and that's uh, the Will Smith walking up on stage and cracking Chris Rock with an open hand slap I want to get a full breakdown on that shot the lack of reaction from Chris Rock and uh, what you thought of uh, the, the, the the shot and the reaction. Well, I want to make it very clear. I wasn't watching. I had to watch the replay. I, 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 wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't spending my Sunday night watching the Academy Awards and all these elitists and all these people that live in a bubble and live in a make-believe world or a different world than most of us uh, earthlings have to live in. Uh, <laughs> I, I, so 
that's that's that has to be full transparency always on this show uh that has to be brought out first as far as the puncher was fat it was wide you know it was wide you could, uh, he's lucky he didn't have a good counter puncher in front of him <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's lucky that mayweather wasn't up for uh, an academy you know uh, because mayweather would have counted the crap out and so that that's number one and i understand it was open hand all that stuff uh Either Chris Rock has the greatest chin uh, since uh, Ali uh, and Kid Gavilan. Kid Gavilan, by the way, Google him. Uh, 155, whatever. I, I don't know if he was ever dropped. I don't think he was even dropped. I mean, what a chin. Uh, he's got the, either Chris Rock is known, and we didn't know this going into this, that the name Rock came because of his chin. You know, he's got a granite chin. Either that... <laughs> Or Mr. Smith, he needs to go back to the training he was doing for the Alley film, and he's got to work on the power a little more. He's got to work on the power a little bit more, uh, maybe a lot more, maybe a lot. That shows you really the magic of Hollywood, that you can take a guy that, you know, hits like a feather duster and make him into Muhammad Ali <laughs> and, and knock out George Foreman. I mean, that's amazing. That credit to those directors, credit to those cinematographers, all of them. Uh, really, uh, I got more respect for them and understanding for what they do now than I did before. So if that's worth anything, I gained something. <laughs> <laughs> I gained a little something. And um, I think that I think that Chris did roll with it a little bit, you know, Ken. I think he rolled with it, yeah. uh, you know, yep. a little bit. Uh, so maybe that took a little off of it, maybe. But would you like to have seen Chris Rock come right back over the top with the right hand, straight right down? I would have, if not over the top with the right hand. It was coming round, so it might have been hard to estimate the distance of it because when it's round it could be longer and if you try to come over the top and you're pulling back to do that you still could get caught so i would have liked to see him weave it jeez <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm i'm asking for a lot here i would have liked to see him weave it to his left and come up with a nice left hook a nice left hook and and just you know and then i might have stayed with the i i might have been i might have said you know what I watched this one on video. Next year, I'm going to watch the Academy Awards because you never know, baby. Yeah, you just, It was the best just, thing that's ever happened to the I, Academy I might watch Awards. It next year. They might have gotten somebody. I'll be honest. I, they might have. I had your... I had your voice in my head when you did it. I was like, oh, dude, why throw one slap when you can throw two or three? Because you just never know when you might find a prospect uh, at the Academy Awards. <laughs> yeah, you know, who, who knew? Who knew? But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell you, uh, we joke and everything, but like I said earlier, uh, well, what's going on in this country and in this world right now, uh, what I think we got more serious. I, it's good to, look, it's good to get an escape and to laugh. I get it. And um, sports is an escape. And I guess now the Academy Awards might be an escape. I don't know. Uh, because <laughs> we do have stuff that's going on right now 
Uh, I don't know that these people uh, understand it or see it or get touched by it or feel it uh, the way the ordinary human beings uh, do on this planet. But there are some serious things going on in this country and in this world that need to be paid attention to. Yep. Well, let's get into the real fight action. And another guy who took a, took some shots this weekend was Miguel Brachelt. My God, he looked like a different fighter from the last, from previous outings. I'm assuming that knockout by, uh, from uh, courtesy of Oscar Valdez is what lumped him up. But my God, his chin looked to be non-existent. And um, what's our man? Jeremiah Nakatia put it on him. My God. Have you ever seen a fighter get old that quick, Teddy? Yes. That's what the old timers would always say, Ken. They'd always, now you understand why they said, you know, a fighter can get old overnight, a fighter can get old right in front of you on any given night uh, when they had a lot of miles on the old dominant. And that, see, that's the one place I would, uh, you're right, but the one place that I would argue with you and differ with you is, uh, and I differ with the commentators, quite frankly, uh, from that night, where, they said it was from the Valdez fight. Uh, Valdez's fight was part of it. Uh, no, uh, and the beating that he took that night in his last fight. But that's not, he doesn't deserve all the blame and all the responsibility for that, so to speak, because he's been around Burchelt for a long time. Uh, he's got a lot of miles on the odometer, as I like to say. And, you know, the, the straw that broke the camel's back, was it the Oscar fight? Yeah, it may have been. Uh, Valdez fight? Yeah. But it was an accumulation of all those years of being in a very tough industry where you, where you take punishment. And um, sooner or later, you pay a price for it. And sooner or later, it shows. And, you know, and he's never been a great defensive fighter, uh, Birchelt. You know, he's been a very good offensive fighter. So it, it showed. It, it showed up. And uh, it took the commentators to, you know, a couple of them were great fighters. So I was a little surprised it took them that long to really call it to note. Because I saw from, I, I got to tell you, I and I've said this when I used to broadcast, so I'm not shy and think, oh, Teddy, you're making it up. No, I don't. I try not to lie. And um, I take pride in that because my I, I, this stuff is going to last. And uh, I want my legacy to be attached to a guy that did tell the truth uh, from not only myself, for my kids. So uh, I've said it before when I was calling the fights where – I saw immediately, if I did see it, where a guy was legs were gone. He was shot. And that's the first physical place you see it is in the legs where, you know, it, it's, it shows. It shows in the legs. And I saw immediately, like I've so, seen with shot fighters in the past, I saw immediately what I thought was a shot fighter where the legs looked like it was on stilts. They looked like they were made out of wood. And they were stiff. He wasn't comfortable. He wasn't balanced on them. And it looked like he borrowed someone else's legs. Not yours, because you're a marathon runner. Your, yours would have been good. But uh, that's what it looked like immediately to me. It took him about three rounds to kind of get to that. And another place I disagree with them. I've said throughout my career broadcasting on the air with boxing, which has been an awful long time, 
I've said many times that coming off a knockout loss is tough. You got to get the bats out of the belfry. You got to get the ghosts out of the attic, the ghost of doubt, the ghosts that were there the last time you were in the ring. You got to get rid of them because they can bother you. There's no doubt. You got to do an exorcism. And you, and, you, and you should try to do it before the fight with a tune-up fight. And when you don't do it with a tune-up fight to get rid of them, you're taking a chance they're still there. So... I've said that many times, and you could hear the announcers were echoing what I had said uh, in the past with that kind of stuff. But, but, I disagree in this case. I wouldn't have said it. I'll tell you why. It wasn't in the, it wasn't in his mind that he was having a problem with the memories and uh, of being in the ring the last time. It wasn't in his mind. The problem was it was in his body. It was in his physically, in his legs, in his body. And it was in his, not his mind as far as memory, but it was in his brain and mind as far as neurological damage. Yeah. And I know I just said something that's, it hits you a little bit, you know, like, oh, whoa. Hey, I got uh, information for you. Uh, I'm not being harsh. I'm being truthful and I'm being informative about this. The sport is harsh. The sport is brutal. I, I hate to send this memo to you if you haven't gotten it before, but if you haven't, you, you need to wake up a little bit. It is. So uh, that's, where the, that's where the damage was in a real place, not just in the memory, not just in the memory. That wasn't bothering him. He's enough of a veteran where he got in there ready to do his job. The problem was when Birchtrow got in there ready to do his job, his body wasn't there for him. His legs weren't there for him. Neurologically, he had gone backwards. He had been damaged. He had been damaged, okay? And and the damage showed up. Uh, did it show up in training camp sometimes? Plays it might have. I bet you it probably did. But um, they might have brushed it off. Or you could control sparring. You know, you, could, you got bigger gloves, you got headgear. You can control it. You could, you're paying the spar partners, right, to do a job. So I've done it, I'll tell you. Uh, you know, over the freaking, over 40 years, I've been training five, 50 years almost. I've grabbed a spar partner. We're paying them, right? Uh, I've grabbed them and said, hey, I don't want to see nothing Nothing too much today. I want to pull back a little bit. I need my guy to have a light day today. I need my guy to walk out of this, walk out of, not walk out of this building, but float out of this building today, out of this gym today, feeling confident, feeling good, feeling the way I want him to feel, the way he needs to feel. You understand? Yes, sir. All right. That's what I'm here for, to deliver whatever it is that you guys need to deliver. I mean, that's the way it works. That's the way it's supposed to work. And, uh, I can I can attest to that. If you've never been in a uh, a training camp, I couldn't I couldn't possibly describe the reality of what it's like versus what anyone thinks it's like. It's nothing like what you would imagine. It's very uh, deadly serious, and uh, nothing's left to chance, to say the least, including what the sparring partners do to that extent. Probably even what they think. Um, it was serious business so if you say that they that they that they had instructions i don't doubt that they had instructions on every type of punch to throw how much to put on it and how much to take off of it so 
But Miguel Burchell, Teddy, has 41 fights. He's 30 years old. He's Mexican. Knowing the culture and, and, and the way the Mexican fighters are, he probably started as an he probably started fighting in his early teens. That's a lot of punishment. And a lot of tough wars in the gym, I'm sure. You know, besides yep. you just said 40 fights. That's a big number. You know, it's a big 41 fights and his two previous losses were both by knockout. So this is the third knockout. He's, he's lost three fights, all three by knockout. And I mean, compared to what he looked like, even like three, four years ago, I remember because um, Cancio had one of the belts there. And I remember thinking, because I love Andrew, I remember thinking, man, this Burchelt is super tough. Oh, I hope he doesn't have to fight this kid. He's a killer. But the guy who looked at the guy on Saturday night looked like he couldn't lick a stamp. He couldn't take a punch. He was getting wobbled on everyone. He was getting knocked down on jabs. It was sad to see, actually. Yeah, listen, Ken. You're saying what anyone with a good heart would say. It's sad to see, really. But if you've been in this business long enough, unfortunately, it's what you wind up seeing with guys that stay a little too long. You know, they get to that point and go past that saturation point, you know, where your brain can only take so many hits. Your body can only endure so many hits. You know, you, you, you get past that point, and it looks like he got past that point. And if you've been in the business like I have long enough, it's something you see more than you want to see it. It's a reality. Um, and I would say also that while his legs were stiff and they were also rubber at the same time, they were stiff, he was uncomfortable on them, you could see it, he couldn't really uh, get a footing. And then, of course, they become rubbery. Uh, his heart was anything but rubber. His heart was that of a lion. That of a lion. His pride. His pride in his heart was that of a lion's. And um, that didn't get dissipated. That didn't get eroded. That didn't get in any way, you know, nothing taken from that. That was there. And that should be applauded. That should be a ploy. He even turned one round around where he almost won the round. I mean, which was pretty yeah. pretty damn extraordinary uh, under the conditions we're talking about. So uh, that that I want to make sure that I also state. I try to state everything, but that should be stated. Uh, he behaved like I always talk about, not just how you fight, but how you behave. He fought, yeah, and he behaved like a fighter, like a champion. A champion, that's a champion's heart. Yeah. I congratulate him, and I think we all should congratulate him on a great career, a career where he gave us some great moments um, in that ring. But we should um, congratulate him and hope that we are congratulating him on his last fight because I think it's time. I, I think it's time for people around him that care about him to say it's time, you know, to retire. To retire having been a world champion and having uh, done what very few people uh, in this world can do. So I hope so. This is, this is one of those instances where you really hope that the people that are around him in terms of managers have prepared him for this inevitability. It's one thing that always strikes me with fighters in particular is when you're done fighting, let's just say hypothetically the kids started boxing it 18, 15, 18, whatever it is, and he didn't go to college. So now you're 30 years old. That's a young man. I mean, I'd love to be 30 years old. I mean, Agreed. 20. So my point is, these managers from the jump should be preparing every paycheck, 
could be the last one and that's how you should live your life if you're going to get a if you get a million dollar paycheck the last thing you should do is buy a watch or uh, some diamonds because god forbid you're in the hurt business god forbid you get compromised in a way where you can't even legally get in the ring per the commission let's say you lose an eye or anything the manager's job there is to protect you from yourself and prepare you for the future, not just a money grab. Yes, you want to make as much money as you can, but have a plan B. Andrew Cancio, as the we I mentioned earlier, he works for the SoCal Gas. Even when he had the title, he's like, I'm not giving up my job at SoCal Gas. I could lose the next fight realistically by knockout, and now I don't even have a job? He's like, this isn't enough money to live on the rest of my life. A million sounds like a lot of money, but not to live the rest of your life, especially if you'd like to spend some of it. And most of these fighters never get to a million-dollar payday, let's be honest. Or, or and that's what I think about when I think, see, George Masvidal, who we love, but you can't punch someone in the face in a, in a restaurant, not when you're a millionaire and you, you had 25 minutes to kit, do anything. You could have ripped his arm off. You can't punch someone in the face. And I think the manager at some point has to say, no, dude, I don't care. We're not street guys. You're a millionaire. You might have been a street guy, but you're not anymore. Don't punch someone in the face in the street. It's one thing if you get into a heated exchange, okay, emotions were high, but if you're gonna go there looking for him, you're gonna just get a lot of, you're gonna get a lot of unnecessary trouble for yourself. Why are you doing this? It's, I, I don't know, I get so frustrated because I love George and I hate to see him put himself in this position, but he's got trouble now. Like, you break someone's tooth? I mean, for, ugh, anyway, I could go on forever, but this is where the manager should step in and, 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 and manage the situation and put this fire out and make sure that they were just dealing in business and professionalism. I don't care. Words aren't going to hurt you. Same thing for Will Smith. So what? Someone made a joke about you're going to slap him in the face on TV. Like, it's so, so stupid. Um, but the other thing I wanted to say about Burchelt is congratulations to Jeremiah Nakatia. Only his second fight out of Namibia. I think he might have had one other fight in South Africa or something but um he lost a unanimous decision to Shakur Stevenson but he looked good he was letting punches go from everywhere and he took some shots too so uh congratulations he was placing his punches well I like the way he was placing body shots you, you notice that Ken yeah and like like he go to the head he was looking for the right hand obviously and the jab which was obvious and it was it was the right thing to do control him he had long arms too so he's using his long arms he's fighting at the right distance the right geography as I like to say I like that uh, that he understood that, <laughs> obviously his people understood that setting them up in camp, uh, control range, control distance, take advantage of your long attributes of uh, long arms, and keep them at the end of your jab, sit, you know, pick spots for the right hand, but also every every five or six punches, bang, back with a left hook to the body to, to keep the guy stable, to you know, to to keep the guy in front of you, uh, you know, to hurt him there too. So it was a good game plan. It was a consistent, nice, steady, professional, executed uh, fight plan uh, by him. And and I give him credit, as you, you just said. I give him credit. One last thing I add to what we were saying and what you just emphasized about these kids and their managers, their people, have to get them ready for what's coming after they're finished fighting when they can't fight anymore. And that, uh, there's a lot of kids that don't get as far as Bert Shelton. Uh, hopefully he's got money saved up. But they don't get to those paydays. They don't get to that place. But they fight 10 years, 15 years, sometimes you know even more. And that's why I fought and argued when I had my platform, and I still do, for... A, both the National Commission 
and rules with that national commission where you have control if you ever had a national commission which boxing doesn't obviously like the other sports where you could put in place a pension for these fighters i've always god almighty i i mean to the point where i got myself you know i I got more trouble than i got uh good out of it or results out of it uh but always thought that there should be a pension put in place but you need the infrastructure in the sport to do that you can't do it in a sport that don't have an infrastructure or doesn't have a national commission to form that infrastructure then you can't do it uh and people say oh how are you gonna do it it's gonna listen stop yeah if you had that infrastructure if you had the care to have it and the control to have it um you could do it you figure out the formula the criterion you know how many fights you have to have professionally you know to 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 be eligible uh for the pension and where does it start and you know uh i people say well these kids are only making a thousand dollars when they start not the not the kids that are with a big promoter who are making much more money but they're making a thousand those guys that make a thousand dollars play an important role they're the guys that are fighting these up-and-coming kids when they're like you know we don't have the championship fights the guys don't get there they don't develop they don't go up that ladder um exactly so you know uh those guys to answer the argument to the people that say, "Oh, you know, how are you going to take money out of a kid who's making a thousand, fifteen hundred dollars, whatever they're making?" Uh, listen, you take the appropriate amount out where they don't feel it so much. But here's my real answer: you take it out of the freaking promoters' uh, purse. You you take it you take it out of their bag. Yeah, the promoters are making the money. I know that there's certain promoters out there not making money that are small promoters, local promoters. They're hoping to break even. I get that. They're our bloodline too to develop these kids before they get to the top ranks and they get to the Eddie Hearns and they get to the PPCs with Al Heyman and they get you know all those big places where there's more readily available money. Uh, I, I, I understand that. So you don't take from those promoters. You take from the big fights. When there's a big fight, and there's a, there's a bunch of them every year, there's a certain, you know, you want to say a handful of really mega fights? All right, I think you could go at fights that any there's enough profitable fights and there's a few mega fights during the course of the year where you take 2% out of that, out of that pot. I mean, we we talking about some of these pots that there's tens of millions of dollars in the really huge ones. I mean, like the Fury fight coming up, for example, over in London uh, at at Wembley Stadium with Dan White. That they're looking to put more fans. They're looking to put more seats than ninety thousand. They they already said they sold out ninety thousand, so they're looking to put more seats in Wembley so they can make more money. That's a big pot. Didn't they say that's a big didn't pot? Didn't they say I think Fury's getting like thirty plus million, Ken, and Dillian White might be getting eight. Ken, whatever. Does that sound right? You had me at hello. You know what I mean? I mean. <laughs> Just, yeah, <laughs> I think the numbers are like approaching a hundred million, fifty to a hundred mil so for the whole thing. Go and that that fight and any other large fights, the Canelo fights, whatever they are, take a two percent tax, pension tax, out of it and put it into a pool, a pension pool for these fighters that will need it. So they can retire. They don't have to go on too long, maybe. They have that choice. Right now, they don't have a choice. 
as you said, you know, they haven't prepared, you know, to a certain extent. Maybe that's their fault. Maybe that's their ma- whatever. It is what it is. So to avoid having to go on too long when they shouldn't go on anymore, let them be in a position to collect a pension for all the work that they've done, all the blood they've they've poured, and all the sweat that they've sweated, you know, and all the entertainment they've provided for us. So that, that that would be an interesting, interesting, interesting solution for the UFC in particular, given that all the fighters are under one umbrella. I think I'm not an accountant, but I think that there may be a conflict, whereas they're like they're um, uh, subcontractors. Whereas if they were employees, they'd be able to set up a, a 401k or pension plan. But the UFC should set a precedence and set up a, a some kind of retirement fund where, like you said, maybe you get X amount for per fight. And after you get to, let's say, 15 fights in the UFC, you've got a full pension from the UFC for the rest of your life, whatever it is. But I think about it doesn't have to be that much, but 5000 a month would pay a lot of bills yeah, if right. you you know not living in a major city. Um, but there are some interesting solutions out yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, if... And with boxing, with the sport I come from and spend my whole life in, in that sport, obviously it's, uh, like I said, I've been banging at that door to try to get that done for a long time, and nobody answers that door. And without a, without a national commission, you know, that can put all the rules under one roof, you know, that can unify all those rules, you know, and... um. And, and create an infrastructure. Without that, you know, these promoters aren't going to do it. I mean, come, you know. I would say this to the fighters that are listening. If your managers never talk to you about what you're going to do when your career is over, you have a terrible manager. He's there to manage your career, not just take his fee. You should be having conversations about what's next from this. Can I do broadcasting? Am I going to be a trainer? Like, you should have a game plan. And if you don't, find a new manager. They're there to protect you and help you and help like manage your career, not just like take their percentage of the uh, fight purse. Anyway, let's get into the uh, all action, never disappointing UFC. We'll start with the uh, when we start with the main event. Uh, Curtis Blades second round knockout of Chris Dawkins, probably the last type of result anyone expected from uh, Curtis Blades. By that I mean knocking someone out. He's such an incredible wrestler. I would have thought that he would be looking to get Dawkins down to the ground, but it looked like Curtis had a mission, and that was to prove to people that he had that he could handle his business on the feet and get nice with his hands, and he did. My God, he caught Chris Dawkins with a shot, dropped him, and then jumped on him like. They always do and put them away. How'd you like that fight? I loved it. I loved it for the reason you just said. I loved it that that Blades, I always talk about owning the geography, whether it's in the cage or whether it's in a ring. The geography that gives you a best chance to use the abilities that you have in a superior way over your opponent, to use them in the right geography, in the right location, the right place, you know? And, um, and that's the key. That's always the key. And in this case, you would have thought going by that and you mark up the keys to victory, you would have said, okay, Blades, you know, needs to find a way, you know, stand on his feet while he has to use the jab, you know, uh, hold his own, nullify Dorcas the best he can. Don't let Dorcas dominate him in a place that Dorcas is supposed to be better at, which is on his feet striking. Get Dawkins to a place where he's not better than you, where you are far superior on the mat, where your wrestling skills uh, can can show themselves and can 
get you the results that you need, a victory. Blades decided to do it, as you said, on his feet. And uh, again, the geography of the other man, of Dorcas, of the location of where Dorcas is supposed to be doing his thing. And here's the thing, here's the magical thing, here's the thing that I found out, that maybe we were wrong about Blades, that he wasn't as good on his feet because he threw the straighter punches. He was better technically. You, you got a boxing expert telling you, I, I, I hate to say that, I shouldn't say it that way, but I, I, I'm supposed to be at least, right? I mean, if I'm not that, I'm, what am I, an ice cream man? I'm not an ice cream man. I don't know how to do that. Uh, or Italian ISIS, like Customato would say. If you haven't learned something after 200 fights, he'd say about these amateurs that had 200 fights coming out, that amateurs come, maybe coming out of the Olympics. Teddy, if they haven't learned something by now, they should go sell Italian ISIS, all right? Uh, I like cherry. I like cherry. My, my grandchildren, they like cherry. Uh, my grandson likes... Uh, my two grandsons, well, you know what? They like every flavor. <laughs> they, I was just going to say, like what are you talking and, about? Kids, well, you could, you could give them and any my flavor. my granddaughter, <laughs> well, she likes two at a time. She's unbelievable. So she's got a big <laughs> sweet tooth, uh, like my father, her grandfather, uh, so her great-grandfather. So I, I, I'm, from my perspective, Blades was the better guy striking. His, I mean, his punches were straight. And that's why he won. I always say straight beats crooked, you know. And they both decided to throw right hands at the same time, Dawkins and Blades. And Dawkins got there first because his was straight. Uh, not Dawkins, I'm sorry. Blades got there first because his was straight and Dawkins's was crooked. It didn't get there. It was round. And so the form, the technique... We understand the power, but the power don't mean nothing if you don't have a delivery system that I always, always, always talk about. He had the better delivery system. He, he threw a nice straight right hand at the right time when there was an opening to throw it, and he beat Dawkins to it with that beautiful straight as an arrow right hand with a big body behind it and power behind it. And kudos to him. I mean, kudos to him. He, and you know what? Blaze is it's, a killer. It's an, oh boy, Ken! And you know, but he's but he's now six and two. But his two losses are to Derek Lewis and uh, Francis. Um, I think both by knockout. Definitely, he got knocked out by Lewis. Well, two. So just I mean, two. Yeah, yeah. But two TNT yeah, two punches. Two. Yeah. Two nitroglycerin oh, sure. punches. I mean, you know, there's not a lot of those guys. Obviously, not a lot of the those. The problem is he. The problem is when you've lost to the champ and like to the two of the top contenders and beat everyone else, he gets into that Colby Covenanting situation where it's like, what do you do now? You've already lost to the champ. Well, he hasn't lost multiple times, but he got knocked out badly by by both Lewis and and Gano, and he's kind of in that place where he's like climbing back up the mountain. So, I mean, in his last six fight, in his last seven fights, he's six and one with one loss by knockout to Derek Lewis, and and all real guys. You know, it's like he's in a very awkward position i think if he gets matched up with the right guy gets the interim belt he might be able to get something done here in terms of the championship here's how i look at it i agree with what you're putting out there but i add this it's a fun time an interesting time for the ufc right now in the heavyweight division because there's a lot of fights can be made Oh, my we're, God, especially if you put John Jones in the yeah, mix. Yeah, exactly. Ken, there's so many good fights could be made there. 
I mean, to, I mean, you you touched on a few, but obviously you got Ngannou who's the champ, and he's looking for the biggest thing he can get. But yeah, and maybe even a crossover fight with Fury, and I can't blame him if he could get that money, go get it. But um, you're talking about Ngannou gone. Uh, you're talking about Lewis. You're talking about Tuivasa. I want to see two of us. Oh. I want to see two of us. <laughs> Hell yeah. I mean, really. Definitely. I mean, <laughs> and, and you're talking about the Great form, personality. And you're talking about the former champ, you know, Moholchik. You know, he's still there. Yeah. He's still there. Yep. So you're talking. He was in the house. He was in the house Saturday in Columbus, And I know Ohio, they have a great, he was. And he, was, he drinks beer fast. He, um, <laughs> he, he's a tough guy. You got to love that guy. He's a, he's. Full-time he, he's firefighter, real, Teddy. Uh, you got to love him. You got to love him. You have to. And, and listen, I know that I met him one time at the airport. You're going to tell me his name, but. I know that the matchmaker for UFC is tremendous. He does a great Hunter, job. Hunter Campbell? Yeah, I think that's... Hunter Campbell? Yeah, I, I believe that was his... Who, I believe you got the right guy. All I know is he does a great job, and he's he's got some... You know, he, he's got some guys to work with right now, you know, uh, to mix around and come up with some interesting fight again in the heavyweight division of the UFC. He, he's got some real... real potential uh great matches uh with with the guys i just mentioned and obviously there's a few others out there too yeah there's uh <laughs> there's never a dull moment in the uh in the ufc that's for sure let's talk about the um the uh i don't think it was the co-main no two before the co-main the um matt brown against uh brian barberino uh, Barbarina, what a friggin' fight! I saw your tweet to uh, about about comparing it to um, Gotti Ward and with uh, elbows. Matt Brown with elbows, yeah. And Matt Brown responded saying it might be the best compliments he's ever received. <laughs> I wish I saw it this morning. I wish we had a little more time. I would have loved to have had him on the show. He's had an awesome career with, in the UFC. I'm a huge fan of Matt Brown. He, to me, he exemplifies a fighter. He just shows up. He's never talking too much crap. He's just like comes in with like almost like a lunch pail. And Boots takes off his boots. All right, who's up next? Okay, close the door. Let's do this. He just seems to be all business all the time. So I'm dying to hear your thoughts on this one. Yeah, well, I mean, that said, he it's no frills, you know. He, he's a blue-collar, you know, fighter. I mean, he, he's a guy. You talk about the guys that have earned their way. Uh, he's, he's who you're talking about that have paid the price, that have done it the old-fashioned way, the hard way, the hard road, you know, no shortcuts. You're talking about Matt Brown, uh, and he never disappoints. And you're talking about consistency, and you're talking about a great, 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 great fight that he put on, you know, the other night. Uh, you're talking about a guy who, you shouldn't forget this, He was 40, he's 41 years old. See, that, you almost forget that. How how that really magnifies uh, the hugeness of what, if that's a word, you know, I just throw it in there, but of <laughs> what he did uh, the other night in giving that kind of performance that would have me say it reminded me of the first Mickey Ward-Gaddy uh, fight in the ninth round, to be honest. It reminded me of that because that that last round, of theirs the other night in that cage was just remarkable. And it becomes, as I just said, it becomes even more remarkable when 
you add to the fact that it was done with a 41-year-old uh, in there leading the way, you know, as as his part was involved. So I just, I, I can't have enough good things to say about both those fighters. Both of them were tremendous. They were both great. I guess it was so close. I guess razor thin. Yeah, it, it really, it really was, and I guess that uh, his opponent, Brian Barberina. Yeah, Barberina. Uh, you know, it's funny when I say Barberina, I hesitate. I want to make sure I got it right because <laughs> it, it, it made me. <laughs> I know what you're gonna say. It, it made me go back to a TV show. Uh, many, 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 many years ago. Rob's probably going to have to put this up. But many years ago, I, I think it was something, Cottis something, uh, uh, Cottis class or Cottis something. Welcome back, Welcome Carter. Welcome back, Cotter. Uh, where it had a... <laughs> Vinny Barbarino. Yeah, Vinny Barbarino was in there. You know, he was in the classroom. Yeah. John Travolta. John Travolta, young John Travolta, <laughs> before, he was, before he danced his way to stardom. And... You know, so I, I didn't want to make a mistake and say Vinny Barbarino, but uh, but Barbarino was he was uh, it was anything but uh, a funny guy in a classroom as John Travolta played many years ago. He was he was as serious as it gets in that ring, uh, younger than Brown, and it was toe to toe. And I guess for me, the thing that if if Barbarino did win it, which of course he did, he got his he he got the decision, but it was so close. I guess he must have pulled it out in that third round, uh, a little bit, you know, where that third round was again. It was to throw in Manila, it was Scatty Ward, it was anything you want to kind of compare it to or or you know connect it to. Uh, that just tells you that there's two men going beyond the pale, going beyond yeah. the lights. They're going into those dark places. Matt, that Matt Brown said after that he thought that he regretted not uh, not going hard in that third round, that he thought he was up two rounds to nothing. I don't know how he, he could have gone, gone harder, harder, but that's, uh, that's a man <laughs> like that would think that way because he's a hard man and he's the guy that always thinks he could have done more. Um but I don't know how much more he could have done, especially at 41. But he he went to places that not too many men can ever say, not too many people can ever say at the end of their lives that they've gone that far. They've gone to those, those mountaintops, if you will. They've gone to those places of darkness where there was no light. And most people would never enter those places, never even attempt to enter those places and he charges right into those places and he's been doing it for a whole career and he's been doing it bringing light into those places when he does it you know light for all of us again these guys are teachers to me the when they when they get involved in these kind of fights that they do uh, and show us what they show us. They're teachers. I know they're warriors, they're samurais, they're gladiators. I'm the first to say that. But they're teachers where they show us there's other places you can go if you're willing to go, if you're, if you're daring enough to go, if you're courageous enough to go, if you're prepared enough to go, if you're willing to go, there's places we can take ourselves 
that we haven't been before. And they're teaching us that. They're, they're saying, yeah, you could do more. Think about it. Couldn't you have done more yesterday in your basketball game, in your track meet, in your, in your football game, when you were tired in the fourth so quarter? True. Couldn't you have done more? Couldn't you have done a little? Yeah, you know, something. Hmm. Yeah, I think I could have. I just watched. That's such things. a good point, Teddy. I love it. That's such a good takeaway. And and I tell people similar stories when it, when it comes to running. Is like, look at what these guys are doing in terms of emptying the tank. You could push a little harder because at the worst case scenario, you're going to have to stop running. With these guys, worst case scenario, you're going to run out of gas and take a break. Only the other guy's going to start kneeing and kicking and punching you in the face. So with that being said. There's no limit to what you can do when you're not in a cage in terms of like emptying the tank and giving your best effort. Even with its work, even with work, I'm tired. I don't want to do this. Hey, thank God no one's trying to choke you unconscious. Just bear down a little bit and suck it up and get it over with and use this as an example of what the situations that you could be in. And uh, yeah, that was. I had one thing in there, Ken, that I. When I finished watching it, I tell you what I thought besides what I just said. I, uh, I thought all those things. But I also thought that, and Dana White, to his credit, he's done this before, and he did it, what was it, a week ago or two weeks ago in the UK at the O2 Arena where Patty the Batty and the other guys fought um, and, and in a sold-out arena. Um, how, how can you not love Patty the Batty? I think that was the highest-grossing uh, UFC fight ever um, uh, as far as as far as at least the gate goes, I, I believe, I believe that's what I read, that it was their biggest fight ever. Uh, f- Considering Dana said he's going back this year, no question yeah, about I mean, it. I would imagine that, yeah, they made a lot of money. So it's extraordinary. So what he did, which I applaud, um, he he gave bonuses out to a bunch of the fighters that night. You know, the guys that obviously... Yeah, nine people, 50 grand and each. Yeah, look, I know there's going to be people out there going, yeah, but Teddy, you see what he's paying him? If he was paying him more, he wouldn't have to give him a... Listen, calm down, all right? Um, he did it, number one. Number two, some of those guys uh, at places just like in boxing where they're not earning that kind of money yet. Not that they won't, not that they can't, but they're not quite at that level yet. Uh so, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to get that bonus. That's all I'm saying. And I would hope that he did that the other night. That's all I'm saying. I'm not trying to spend his yeah. money, and I already applauded him for what he does do. But I would hope that he, the same thing that urged him, you know, to do it at in, in the United Kingdom last week, uh, th- that because of what these obviously because of what these gladiators put out in in the cage, that he would feel the same way for what these guys put out in the cage the other night because I felt like, well, they deserve a bonus too. So I don't know if they did or didn't, you know, either way, but I was thinking that would have been that would have been nice. And and I was thinking we're gonna get to it now, uh, I know in a little while. But besides the bird shell fight the fight before that, we'll talk about it, you know, in an all-encompassing way in a minute. But that was an unbelievable fight. And I feel, yep. I wish that the boxing promoters would do the same thing. I, w- I would wish that, you know, Aram, who who had that show the other night, which they were, it was a great fight, that he would do the same thing. And these guys aren't making money or that kind of money. Come on. So I would wish that 
just like the, you know, like the UFC does that Arum and those guys would come with the same policies when it's called for. When there's a fight like that, uh, give a bonus, you know. But then again, you know, my my grandson wishes that the moon was made out of cream cheese. And right, <laughs> so, yeah. so let anytime, me stop. Anytime my kids say, anytime my kids say, I want this, I want that, I say, yeah, and I want a pony. What do you want me to yeah. do? We don't get everything we so want. Love, yeah, exactly. So uh, I wish I was still in, but I, can, I wish I, can I, was, hear them I now, wish but, I was still in the NCAA tournament alive <laughs> with a shot, with a shot to win uh, whatever. So I, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, um, but. That wish probably is never going to come true. The one I just talked about with Aram and some of his guys. So, but I'll, I'll give it to you to take from there. And uh, uh, again, thank you, uh, thank you, Matt Brown, thank you, Barbarina, uh, for what you gave us. Thank you, all all the fighters that gave us so much and give us so much uh, on the past weekend and weekends before that and weekends to come. But thank for specifically for that fight Saturday night. Uh, again, you guys taught us something that we should always be cognizant of, that we could do more. We could, we could, we could find a way to do a little more. Yep, and congratulations to Matt Brown. He didn't get the win, but awesome fight. Teddy, you know what I thought when I saw him out there at that age? His... Matt Brown must be taking his athletic greens every day because part of getting older is you've got to take extra care in your preparation. I was thinking the same thing, but you've been. I know you were. That's why you look so good. You've been taking your athletic greens. I can tell when you're taking it. Listen, whatever you're going to ask for when we get off the air, the answer is yes. <laughs> what I want everyone to do is if you're listening to the show and you care about your health, do me a favor, please order some athletic greens. Go to athleticgreens.com. Use the promo code ATLAS to get 10, tri- 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. The stuff is awesome. I preach it every week. I take it every day. I'm about to go to Austin, Texas for a um, for a work meeting all week, and I've got my travel packs ready to go. Like I said, I take it usually right when I finish running. Tastes good. Comes with a shaker. I put probably a cup of water in it, shake it up, drink it down, easy as can be. It's got a whole bunch of whole food source ingredients, vitamins, minerals. I don't t- I don't have to take anything else when I have it with me. Again, Athletic Greens. Go to athleticgreens.com. Use the promo code Atlas for 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. If you want to support the show, that's a good way to do it. They've been with us from the beginning and we appreciate them. So with that, you want to do some rapid fire uh, rapid fire topics, Teddy? All right, give us some time on the clock, Rob. All right, let me stop my timer here at the same time. I'll tell you when it's up. Hey, I right. just want to get, I just got, I, I'm a little ahead of you technology-wise. And I'm proud of it. And it's only going to last for about, about 40 seconds. Um, but I can't believe it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tout it. I'm going <laughs> to celebrate it. I'm going to make the most. I'm going to squeeze it for everything I can get. I just got a note from our producer, our very earnest, terrific producer, Rob Moore. Uh, he couldn't get through to you because my technology is a little advanced. All right? You got to catch up. Um, but my God, this is a guy who's talking about that, you know, he, he can barely run a toaster. 
But uh, UFC, they did give a post-fight bonus to Brian Barbarino and Matt Brown uh, as fight of the uh, night. Yep, I see uh, it, it was fighting. Yeah. Am I correct, uh, Sam? My man yep. Sam, who does the tape in here, he's 50, also ahead of me. 50 Gs apiece. So they did get 50 Gs. So you know what? Bravo. Uh, congrats to Dana. Uh, you did it. You didn't disappoint what we wanted. You fulfilled exactly what we should have known because you've been doing that. Uh, that's one of the reasons why we like you. And uh, congratulations, congratulations to the guys making an extra fifty G's. Obviously, you guys earned it. And again, congratulations to a classy organization. And again, you're gonna get people say, "Oh, Teddy, you're giving them credit." And there's times where I don't care about that. I'm I'm talking about what I know, what I see, what I what I witness right now. Uh, I know everything could be better in a lot of different areas in this world. But congratulations that the UFC uh, did what they did. Dana did what he did. They got that extra money. Uh, he must have been thinking the same thing that you and me were thinking, obviously, and many, 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 many thousands and thousands of UFC fans were thinking. Uh, these guys, they went beyond the call of duty. So that's it. And I'm so yeah, proud. I'm so proud that I, I was able to deliver that message uh, <laughs> as the guy that you guys make fun of. <laughs> and I don't know nothing about, you know, I had a flip phone two years ago. Uh, yeah. And you know what? It's still record, my draw. It's fun. still we my <laughs> draw. It's still my draw turned off. And I'm waiting for them to come back. I am. I'm waiting for them to I'll come. tell you the same thing I tell my kids. There's never laughing at anyone. We laugh with each other. When you have friends, you need to be able to laugh at each other. And if anyone who doesn't think it's funny that Teddy still has a fax machine is lying. And right now it's turned funny. off, I hope, <laughs> because I don't want to interrupt the show, which I've interrupted a few times. But And before we get into the quick hitters, I just want to remind everyone to please, if you're listening to the show, sign up for our newsletter. It comes out once a week. It's just a compilation of all all the um all the things all the ongoings in the sport of boxing we're just basically co cobbling everything together and putting it all into one spot where you can find all the latest in interesting news in boxing and MMA etc etc and also if you sign up for the newsletter go to um go to the fight with Teddy Atlas Twitter feed and you'll find the link there uh, we're also going to let people signing up for the newsletter know when our new merchandise drops are coming out so sometime in the next call it one to three weeks we're going to have um if you like the t-shirt i have on here we get a lot of requests for it um it says on the back here check it out 36 minutes to make life fair teddy's uh one of teddy's catchphrases um we got some really nice stuff coming up some really cool limited edition drops in terms of merchandise so get on that newsletter and um with that teddy let's get into some quick hit topics three minutes on the clock First topic, you mentioned it earlier, Eduardo Baez beats Jose Vivas. Teddy, he looked awesome. Uh, Baez looked awesome going back. Uh, Vivas pressed the action all night, but I thought that Baez showed everyone what it looks like to fight going backwards off the back foot when someone's being overly aggressive. He looked, to me, at least from my untrained eye, it looked like someone who could punch off the back foot, kept moving backwards, but punching effectively. What'd you think and how'd you like it? Yeah. I mean, I thought it was, I said earlier, I thought it was a great fight. I mean, just a great, great fight. Uh, you don't always get them, uh, especially on 
with some of these promoters. You know, UFC, on a more regular basis, you get great fights uh, because there's one guy in charge, uh, Dana White, who says, hey, I care about the brand, the brand of UFC. I care about all the fans of UFC. I care about growing the brand, growing the sport. And the only way to do that, simple formula, put great fights on, put competitive fights on every week. Boxing doesn't do that uh, nearly enough, but when they do, it's damn good. And it was damn good. Uh, and I think the difference was that you had, well, it was a phone booth fight, right? That's what I call it. It was a phone booth fight. But then all of a sudden, you got Bias that decided to do some long-distance calling. <laughs> he decided all of a sudden to say, I, I'm going to call some of, some of my friends you know, over there in Mexico, long distance. And he took it outside. And he showed another dimension. Rather than just in the phone booth, he went outside the phone booth and he started using his jab. He started setting up counter punches. And he showed a better array, of a better selection of punches overall. And he used his legs. He made the ring a little bigger. And that was the difference. I always talk about the guy who's more dimensional is going to have the edge. He was more dimensional. He had the edge. Uh, he created that edge by taking it outside. They both were tremendous. They showed grit. They showed heart. They showed chins. Not that either one is a TNT puncher, but they they showed everything you want to see in a ring, everything you want to see out of a fighter. Uh it was like I said. It was it was it was just boxing at its best. Uh, you had the immovable force in Vivas, and he was he was like the immovable force, you know, against the boxer, you know, against the guy that was gonna become the matador or try to become the matador with the bull, and he pulled it off again, just more dimensional against Vivas, who for all the Everything great that I just threw at him, he was one-dimensional. But he does that one-dimensional, or oh, that one dimension at a high level, uh, at an entertaining level. Both guys are fan-friendly. Both guys, you know, uh, got to put fannies in the seats. Uh, if you don't want to watch that, you don't want to watch anything in boxing. Uh, but the versatility, <laughs> again, of bias was the difference. And uh, I hope... I hope they were given bonuses uh, by Dana, by uh, Bob Arum, the way Dana White gave out his bonuses. Yeah, congratulations to Baez on a well-earned victory. Next topic, Alexa Grasso submits Joanne Calderwood in round one of their fight. Good stand-up action while it lasted, but just like Paul Craig last week with the uh, triangle choke, uh, Alexis Grasso, they fell to the ground, a little bit of a scramble, and man, she put that rear naked choke on her so quickly. The great Chill Sonnen would say <clears throat> that the, the rear naked choke is a way for the guy getting choked almost to like silently submit at times. Whereas, you know, you, you've mentioned multiple times in boxing where guys have a silent agreement. Okay, let's take a break in the action. You don't punch me, I won't punch you. It's like these silent negotiations that are done without words. And Chael would argue that when someone gets on your back, if you don't want to get choked and you're skilled on the ground, that you won't get choked out. But he would argue that that's the easiest way for someone to submit in the UFC. And, and he uses um, the Conor McGregor versus Nate Diaz, the first fight, how Conor kind of gave him his back and like 
basically let him choke. It's a way to surrender without surrendering. Um, how'd you like it? And were you surprised at how quickly she put that choke on her? We see that in boxing, what Charles talking about, making a silent agreement, uh, so to speak, yep. you know, finding a way, uh, a, a more complex way, a more hidden way, uh, doing it with uh, gloves on uh, to expect to escape being identified for what you're doing, escape fingerprints, if you will. That's what I always say in boxing. And only someone like Chael, you know, and Anthony Smith, those kind of guys there. Well, I mean, Bisbang too. And, and obviously, um, uh, Rogan and uh, Annan and the, those guys, I mean, they're really, they're, they're good at what they do at announcing. I mean, not only the fight's good, but those announcers compliment it. They really do because they understand those dimensions of it, the psychological dimensions. Uh, not too many people do, and Shale does. But as far as Grousel Wood, a, a little bit like I talked about earlier in the show, where usually it's about the geography, that you, you want to fight at the place, the location, that you have the edge, that, that gives your abilities, you know, whatever they are, the best chance to be superior. And in this case, you know, Grousel was supposed to be standing and striking, not going into the woods, if you will, with wood, where her strength is on the mat, on the floor. But Grazo did. Grazo went into the woods. You know, Grazo uh, went into her domain, into her turf, and she proved something. Not only can she strike, but she can grapple. She can go in there and she can, she can beat you on the floor. So I think there was a statement made on this particular night for Grasso, where Grasso, Grasso showed that she is the full package now. You know, she is this dimensional fighter that I talk about, you know, having an advantage that she could do it all and that she's at a, she's at a special place right now at a place that really, really uh, bodes well for her where she could take on anybody. So I think that's what we got out of it. A uh, very impressive win. You know, we already know about Groucho's strong striking game, but now we found out something more about this special woman, that she can go down on the mat, she can grapple with you, and she can win, and she can submit. So, tremendous, tremendous uh, exhibition of those skills and her completeness now, uh, her development now, to that level that she's gotten to as a UFC fighter. Congratulations. And I left a few seconds on the clock for you, Ken. Yeah, and she did basically the opposite of what Curtis Blades did, went against conventional wisdom and, and won the fight in a manner that probably most pundits wouldn't have predicted. Before we get to the next topic, you mentioned by Michael Bisbing. I just want to give him a quick shout out. His they he just came out with a documentary a few days ago. I watched I it. I heard on, it's great. Um, I've been hearing rave, rave, rave stuff. Yeah, you can. Re it's available for rent on like iMovies or whatever the the streaming service is for Apple. But holy cow, is that a great documentary? Michael Bisbin is just what a tough guy, man. He's I, I read his book. I've seen the documentary now, but I can't say enough good things about the guy. I love the way he conducts himself outside of the ring. He seems like a good family guy. We'd love to have him on the show at some point. But uh, congratulations to Michael Bisbing. If you haven't seen his documentary. Definitely, definitely worth the price of admission. It was excellent. Um, next topic, Teddy, the strong men. 
Big time, big, big muscle man. Uh, Eddie Hall fights Thor in uh, Two Strong Men in a boxing ring. I always think when I see these gigantic muscle heads in the gym is like, and they're acting like tough guys, I always think like, man, does this guy realize if he says talk crap to the wrong small guy who can throw punches, they could hit him with three or four punches before he could even put his hands up. They're so big and muscle bound. It's always this misconception that, oh, look at the muscles. He must be really tough when, as you know, in some cases, people would say the more muscles you have, like the worse you are. I mean, Francis Ngannou might might be the uh, the anomaly there in terms of a guy with muscles who could just rip your head off and actually fight. But um, what'd you think of that strongman fight? Well, obviously, we knew going in these guys are strong. <laughs> I have to laugh because I'm being <laughs> Captain Obvious, but they're they're strong, Ken. And I mean, we've seen them throw truck tires around and pick up boulders, you know, and chuck them around, you know. So we, that's obvious. I think that it might have also become, from the video that I watched of them, uh, it might have become maybe also apparent that they are eating at the same burger place as Canelo does in Mexico. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> to say the to say the least. <laughs> okay, I'll leave it at that. I think you guys can figure it out. So, in all seriousness, it comes down to the same thing. Even in these tough men, where obviously their skills are less developed, we get it. Uh, they're much rawer. We get it. But as I always say, whether corner UFC fights, talking about that, or corner boxing, whatever the combat happens to be, I always talk about. Yeah, it's one thing to have power. It's one thing to have strength, but. It comes to who's the smartest, who's the most developed technically. I don't care. Always, 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 always. It comes to, yeah, you got power, but you better have a delivery system that works for that power. And I give credit to Bornison. Um, Born, what is, am I pronouncing it right? Yeah. I think that Bornson yeah. showed the edge there. Because, yeah, he's taller. I get it. He's a southpaw. Matter of fact, Hall was, uh, he switched from southpaw to orthodox. But, yeah, Bornson had the advantage of being tall. But, you, like I used to always say on ESPN, you got to know how to fight tall. He knew how to fight tall. He knew how to keep his, uh, take advantage of that asset, be on the outside control range, you know, uh, be able to keep the guy at the end of his longer punches. So, credit to him for understanding and developing that skill that to use to deliver his power better. And he did. He delivered his left hand where he dropped Hall a couple times. Congratulations to Hall for showing heart, for showing guts, getting up each time. Uh, but at the same time, Hall didn't develop the skill set to go with his physique, with his assets physically, where he needed to learn how to slip punches, get inside Tyson-like, if you will. Slip punches, get inside, bring your feet along, uh, and shorten up your punches. You know, while... Well, Bonson threw nice straight punches, you know, jabbed a straight left hand and kept it simple, but he threw them the right way. Uh, Hall was throwing, you know, haymakers, you know, from uh, the, I don't know from where, from the uh, Mugabe Desert, and they were fighting in Dubai. <laughs> it shouldn't be thrown from the Mugabe Desert. You're in Dubai, <laughs> you know, and he paid a price for that. So, again, that's what I saw. It came down two strong guys, but the guy that was developed technically, that had the delivery system, that was a little smarter, if you will, in that way, well, he's the guy who uh, who won, and that's Bonson. Excellent. All right, next topic. 
George Cambosis versus Devin Haney. And then I, I, I want to treat it as two separate topics because I want to get your thoughts on uh, the Tiafimo, uh, his reaction to the fight. They got him on camera reacting to his thoughts on Cambosa Haney. But first, let's just talk about the Cambosis Haney fight. So Lomachenko is, is in busy fighting the Russians right now. I think that they've offered him the opportunity to leave, but he's he's definitely not taking the fight in June against Cambosis. I think they're going to at least, for the at the very least, put it off for now. But Cambosa has, uh, Devin Haney has agreed to go to Melbourne, Australia, I believe in June to fight Cambosis. I'll confirm the date in a minute, but George Cambosis, Devin Haney, I like this fight, Teddy. It's a good step, a huge step up for Devin Haney. And finally, we're going to see, like, does he have the goods at this next level? And Cambosis just seems like he couldn't be more confident. Um, how do you like this one? What are you looking for? Well, I talk about geography inside the ring being so important, you know, and it is where a guy uses his skill set to the best advantage. You know, if it's a box, he's on the outside. <laughs> you know, if it's a punch or if it's a, you know, a good body punch or, or a guy that likes to brawl a little bit, he gets the geography on the inside, gives him an advantage. Well, there's the geography outside the ring that you have to talk about sometimes. So it's a home game for Cambosis. So you, you have to figure that in. You have to figure that in. And then you got to look at the promoters. It's not just about where the fight is that gives an advantage to the judges or the scoring. It's who the promoters, who they want to win. Because they the judges travel, by the way. I got news for you. Uh, <laughs> and, and if they're corrupt judges, that travels too. You know, if they're, <laughs> if they're controlled judges, that travels too. So it depends on... Pretty sure they'll judge a fight on the moon for the right amount yeah, of money. Yeah, so it depends, you know, who the promoter wants to win, who the promoter has... Obviously, the the best chance to make money with has control over uh, to that extent. But it, it's going to be an interesting fight. It's the kind of fight that Haney it it bodes fairly well for him in a way that he's a surgeon. He he's a marksman. He he's a sharpshooter. You know, there's no fat on his punches. But he does have a susceptible chin that he, before the yep. fight ends, it's not just the chin. He's got all the heart in the world he gets up. But it's not just that. It's that he gets hit clean before the fight ends. See, that mm -hmm. bothers me. Yep. Every fight, somewhere before it's all, he makes a mistake that's going to get him hit. And see, that's going to be the interesting X factor uh, here. I'm not saying Cambos is a huge puncher, but he put Teofimo Lopez on the floor. He showed that he can bang, you know, from that southpaw position when he has to. Uh, you know, and he could get your attention. And he's got, you know, just like Haney, he's got all the heart in the world. Uh, he's got, you know, he's got some extra going for him. He's got a lot of people going to be in that stadium uh, rooting for him, you know, over there in Australia. But for as far as the purity of the matchup, Haney... Haney's, Haney's going to like it to the point where he's not in there with a a, a, a TNT puncher and a, a physically overwhelming guy because Haney's not physically real strong. He's not the strongest guy in the world. I mean, he's strong enough, but he's the sharpshooter. He's the surgeon. He's the guy that takes you apart. He's the guy who has those laser punches. And that, I think, might bode... A, pretty well for him in the style matchup and styles do make fights in the style matchup here that if there's little holes little openings just little ones he'll be able to slice in there you know he'll be able to laser in there those shots and put himself in a position to win a decision uh that's what he's looking to do obviously composer wants to do that too uh i i think that haney 
Haney has the matchup he, uh, he wants. Uh, it should be a very interesting fight. I love Cambosis too. He's been on our show. Uh, it should be, uh, you can't discount uh, him because of the improvement he'll probably get just from pulling off that upset. The old timers would say when you win the title, yep. you get 30% better. So you, you got to look to see. You got to look to see how that factors in. Interesting fight. I think the Australia angle adds a lot of components um, and favors George massively. Number one, you should probably, typically for any kind of endurance event, most professional athletes would think any for every hour of time change, you need a day there to acclimate. So if you're going someplace eight hours ahead or behind, you probably need eight days to get on that, to get on that like circadian rhythm with your sleep. Um, but that's an interesting fight. And, and there's having said that, Ken, I'm going to jump on piggyback off that and, and put that for a fight coming up in a couple of weeks with triple G. We just had our, him oh, on yeah. our air. Uh, we just had a really nice interview with him last week. And, uh, for the people I that think didn't it's next see week, it, is it or is it two weeks? Yeah, they should go back and look at it. But he's got to go to Japan. He's going to Japan. So the same thing. That's an X factor. That's a variable in that fight. Also, he's forty years old, or he'll be forty the day after the fight. So there's a couple of X factors working in that Triple G fight over in Japan, and what we just talked about in this fight in Australia with Cambosis and Haney. Yeah, that fight is um, April 9th, so I think he's got two weeks. I'm not sure what the exact time difference is in Tokyo, but it's big. I would imagine he should probably be there already if he's not, but um, those guys know what they're doing in um, Triple G's camp. Um, he's there with the great Chris Camacho. Um, last one on the quick hitters. Uh, I know you had a chance to look at the impromptu interview they caught with uh, Tiafimo Lopez. They were interviewing Mark Kriegel and Tio walked into the shot and the guy who was interviewing Kriegel started asking Tiafimo what his thoughts were on the fight and my God, the conspiracy theorist in him just couldn't control himself and he started talking about the fix was in from the beginning, that Camposas was always going to win if the fight went to a decision and that Devin Haney will win this fight, that it's already predetermined, the fix is in to get Devin Haney the, um, the belt. It was really off the reservation in terms of sour grapes i mean sometimes again a manager would step in and be like dude even if you think that please don't say that you're not going to win any fans you're only going to alienate people it's bad sportsmanship nevertheless what'd you think what'd you make of it and what do you think well if you take it serious yeah you know i mean listen if you took it serious that the good news for haney is he could stop training now you know what i mean go out get yep. some ice cream yeah you know good point uh, like I, i'm gonna take my grandkids out for ice cream later he could go do that because it's in the fix is in it's done hey look we're joking around you have to joke with certain things um listen i like Lo i like lopez i don't think people see him for uh the better part of what they can see him to be they see him for this stuff i think it's attached to his father his father has a great influence over him his father's done a great job getting him to the title can't take that away from him but there's also been some uh some kooky stuff, if you will, uh, with that, with his feelings and what he said about top rank and about, you know, all the stuff when he lost to Composer. And so uh, I, I think that's that's kind of in the air when you talk talking about Lopez with these kind of things. That's part of what you're going to get a little bit. Uh, again, I don't think people, I think the unfortunate side is they don't see Lopez for the better side of the smart kid that I I had a conversation with him that I kind of saw uh, the other side of him uh, and, and I like that side quite frankly a lot but the thing that I took out of it 
again, I, I take all that with a grain of salt. Like I just said, I've been around this business too long. So you, you can't take uh, that stuff obviously seriously uh, in, that, in the way that we're, we're talking about. But what I did take seriously was what my eyes told me, not what my ears told me. I, I saw something on his right hand, whether it was a soft cast, whether it's bad. I didn't know he had a hurt hand. Maybe maybe I'm out of the loop a little bit here. Yeah, he just had surgery, something. On, I thought it, I thought they said it, one, one place I saw it said his elbow, another place said his hand, but he had some kind of surgery recently. Yeah, I didn't know. I, I didn't realize it was his hand. I, I thought it was up higher. Um, but again, I, I'm not paying a lot of attention to it, but I am now. I saw the bandage there. Obviously, he's had something on his hand. Uh, so obviously, whatever you're talking about with fights, uh, it, it's still going to take some time because I would think that uh, he's going to have to go through proper time of rehab uh, when when that whatever it is that's on that hand comes off, uh, whether it was a protective bandage or whatever, but it's still going to have to go through a certain amount of rehab. And, and then, of course, you got to go through a full training camp. Uh, and before you can go through that full training camp, you got to make sure that that hand uh, is up to par where it can do what it has to do. So, you know, I, I, I took more away from, from seeing that uh, and, and thinking about where that would put him on the calendar as far as being able to fight than I did about anything that, quite frankly, came out of his mouth. Yeah, it said he had it on his hand, and then, um, but he also had arthroscopic surgery on his left elbow in February. So now he's had elbow, elbow, See, that's and what, hand. That's what I had heard. I didn't, I didn't know about the hand. Yep. What, what did he have on the hand? Do we know? He's, it just says that he had arthroscopic surgery. Um, doesn't say what, but if it's arthroscopic, that, that's I mean, a shorter window of recovery. We understand yeah, that. That's yeah, good. Yeah. That's the good news. So it's been a problem for a long time. That's this, according to the great Mike Coppinger. Speaking of which, we didn't talk about this, but man, Mike Cop Agus uh, Clemens, who's our friend, he unloaded on Coppinger, who reported that um, Usyk was has been given special permission to leave the Ukraine to um, start training again for his heavyweight fight with Anthony Joshua. And man, Agus, they must have a beef about something because Agus came off the top rope and was like, mother effa, don't talk about my fighters. You, this is fake news. And then a couple of days later, it was turned out that he didn't need permission because he has three children. Anyone with three children, any able-bodied man with three children is free to leave. Um, but it was just interesting that it didn't seem that far off from what Coppinger was reporting. But man, I didn't realize that Agus had a problem with Coppinger to the extent that that tweet did. He was real mad. Hey, these not are emotional sure. times, uh, Ken. Very. All I'm going to say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into something I don't know enough about. I'm not going to do that. I talk about mm -hmm. things I know something about, and I touch on things I don't know a lot about. So I just, I just do what I think is appropriate, and and say this: this is a, this is a difficult time to be yep. talking about any fighters over in the Ukraine with that kind of stuff. I mean, you got a war going on over there. Yep. You know what I mean? But people's emotions are high. People are Very. dying. People, yep. people's homes are being blown up. Uh, yeah, and people, uh, people, they have a right to be a, a little extra sensitive and a little extra emotional, whether it's Agus or anybody else, uh, when it comes to doing what they think, at least. Coventure didn't, was just trying to do his job. Just trying exactly, to do his yeah. job, and maybe he was off a little bit, and and you don't want to be off when you're doing your job at any time, but especially at these times, especially at these times, uh, where as I just said, uh, there's a war going on. 
it's different times it's different times and and so i i could see and understand being more protective of your fighter at, at times like this with what's going on in our war-torn country right now. Uh, I, I can see, and I could also see the other side, that Coventry was just trying to do his job, just trying to do his job, and maybe maybe he didn't get the full information that, you know, you didn't have to get special permission uh, to, to go and, and leave the country to prepare for a fight because if you have three children, uh, you're granted that permission automatically as a Ukrainian citizen. But again, difficult times all I I'll finish it this way uh, our prayers our thoughts uh, to all the people over there in that part of the world uh, that that are suffering uh, unimaginable uh, unimaginable kind of pain and damages that they're going through right now our prayers yeah. to you to all of them to all of them for sure. And you made a good point about people's actual homes. I think it, it's it's easy to lose sight of that when you're a million miles away in the United States and think, oh, there's a conflict going on in Ukraine. But these are like people in their houses living their day to day lives. All of a sudden they're getting hit with bombs from Russia, from Russian missiles and they've got to flee the country. It's, um, you know. To your point, I think that it is um, it's emotions are high and I don't think people understand just how um, how perilous the situation is over there and the thing that's frustrating just on a bigger scale is the people that are always making the decisions to do these things you hear them over here give them planes help this help that they're never the people the politicians that are making the decisions are never the ones that are in the trenches shooting guns and like risking their lives they're just sitting in their ivory towers ordering people to invade other countries and kill other people it's man it's 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 a sad situation but Let's end it on a good note. I want to. Dana White was in um, was in Nashville recently. I didn't. Uh, I didn't see him. He must have lost my number. But um, some of the local kids. There's two high schools in my town: Ravenwood, which is where my kids will go, and Brentwood. And uh, the, one of the kids from Brentwood, our rival high school, grabbed Dana and said, "Hey, send a message to Ravenwood. Tell them like f Ravenwood or something." And two of uh, there's a young kid in the neighborhood here who wrestles for Ravenwood and he's a huge MMA fan. He's also trains in MMA, but for real trains and he watches the show every week. So I just want to give a shout out to Kyle Brush and the Ravenwood Raptors and Ravenwood is the real wood and we're going to get you guys at Brentwood and we don't have to curse to do it. So good luck to Ravenwood in their res upcoming wrestling season next year. And uh, Kyle, go get him, dude. Um, Teddy, with that... What do you got before we say goodbye? No, we covered a lot. Well, yeah, we covered a lot. I hope you enjoy it. We appreciate all of you for always being there with us, and um, keep uh, keep giving us more clicks, will you? Because uh, we appreciate you. I think we just we're at two hundred thirty six thousand subscribers. Maybe we passed it. I don't know, but we're somewhere around there. I know we're somewhere around fifty million downloads, but. Uh, the subscribers is a key. If we're going to keep doing this, we got to keep growing. Obviously, we want to keep growing in that direction. And we want to keep doing what we're doing with you guys and what you will allow us to do with you guys, which is uh, to talk to you, to talk to you uh, every week. We appreciate it. Uh, I, I wish everybody well out there. As I said, uh, I would ask everybody send an extra prayer. You pray for different things. Just put an extra one in there for the the people over in the Ukraine, what they're going through. And uh, God bless everybody.
Yeah, God bless, guys. Thanks for being with us. We got a relatively quiet week next week on the fight front, but the following week we got our friend Alex Volkanovsky back in action against the Korean Zombie. So maybe next week we'll uh, try to get a, a guest or two in here and um, keep you guys entertained. Thanks for being with us. Like Teddy said, please subscribe to the show. It helps us a lot. And with that, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks a lot.